0: everyone and welcome back to the Know It All podcast. It's me your host Riley Sue and I am so ready to be officially kicking things off with you guys. I have been completely overwhelmed and so grateful for all of the support and um, you know love that I have received over the past week since I announced that I was doing this podcast. Um, This is not a journey that I take lightly. This is something that I really want to do and I want to do right so I went back and forth on what I thought was gonna be our first episode but I finally landed on something that I really think is gonna start our relationship off on the right foot I think that you're gonna get to know me pretty well and it's kind of a test for you guys too to see what you think of the topic and you know if this is kind of a journey that you're going to be interested in. I think this is going to be a really good show of what I want to do. So without further ado, I know you guys have your snackage already. I got some water because, you know, hydration is key, but you guys clicked on the episode. You know what the title is. We're covering the Dancing Plague of 1518 today. This is fascinating and fantastical stuff, guys. So I'm really excited and let's just go ahead and get into it. Now, I would not be shocked at all if most of you guys had not heard of The Dancing Plague of 1518. This is not really something that most people learn about. I first heard this story when I was in college during a medieval literature course. That class was one of my favorite classes I ever took during my undergraduate degree because I was actually one of three people in the class and most days I was one of one people in class. If you're picking up what I'm putting down my classmates did not really show up but i loved that because that meant that i got to spend a lot of one-on-one time with what was probably one of the coolest professors i ever had during school a incredibly well-versed folklorist a really cool just like woman human in general dr schmidt big ups to you. I love you. Um, but yeah, we were studying medieval literature and it's a literature course. So she's not going to get into the nitty gritty of all of these things. She just used it as an example of some broader thing during the Middle Ages. But I was hooked. And the facts and speculations around this incredibly wild incident did not disappoint once I dug into it. Our story this week is set in Strasbourg, a city in the Holy Roman Empire that's situated along the Rhine River. Um, This is at the border of what's now modern France and Germany, and we are approximately 275 years before the French said, off, off, off with her head to Marie Antoinette, and they're in Strasbourg this week screaming, dance, dance, till you're dead. I hope that someone gets that yeah, yeah, yeah's reference. Otherwise, I just really embarrass myself. Um, but it was originally a Celtic city along the Rhine. The city had been taken by the Franks in the fifth century who called it Stratenbergham, which is where the name Strasbourg comes from. Also, I want to apologize for my French pronunciations. I did look up all of these names before and I'm really trying my best, but of course I will always take corrections. So, it was here in Strasbourg, in 842, where the King of the West Franks, Charles II, and the King of the East Franks, Louis II, took an oath of alliance, the Samarit de Strasbourg. The city became a free city of the Holy Roman Empire after a power struggle between the citizens and the bishops. Apart from the Dancing Plague of 1518, Strasbourg is well known for its Cathedral of Notre Dame, which was built in the 11th to 15th centuries, as well as the Ill River, which traverses the city and holds the town's Old Town or the Grand Allier, meaning Big Island. Grand Allier was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1988. I actually had the privilege of visiting Strasbourg in 2019. I was able to see the cathedral and walk the bridges of the ill, and it was really cool when I was actually able to walk the Old Town and the Old Streets, where possibly our first carrier and vector of the dancing plague in Strasbourg may have shimmied or shaken. I'll go ahead and share some pictures from my visit to Strasbourg on the Instagram post for today's episode, so go ahead and check it out at knowitall.pod on Instagram. But today, we are not talking about Strasbourg of summer 2019. We are talking Strasbourg of the summer of 1518. And Europe right now is very different. This period is wildly opposite of our modern age. Coromania, as it was later named, or dancing madness was actually not all that uncommon. Strasbourg is the most well-known incidence of this, but it's not the first. Epidemics of dancing to your death, or to the point of exhaustion, were recorded elsewhere in France, in Germany, and in other places in the Holy Roman Empire. Another such occurrence actually took place along the Rhine in 1374 and spread to multiple towns, but no other city had as many dancers or as many deaths as Strasbourg. Our story begins on July 14th of 1518 and it was a standard day in Strasbourg of what was turning out to be a particularly hot summer. That was until a single woman stepped out into a cobbled street in front of her home and she began to dance. She writhed and wriggled in the street and her husband shouted after her, but she carried on anyway. Neighbors watched as she danced from her home to the town square, peeking out of curtains and over fences. She eventually collapsed from exhaustion. Her name was Frau Trophia, and the next morning, as soon as she awoke, she rose and began to dance again. She ignored the pain and swelling of her feet and hands, as if she was possessed with the desire to dance until she could no longer physically carry on. This behavior continued in her for six days, and soon, Frau Trophia was sent off to the Shrine of St. Vitus to be cured of her afflictions, but it was too late, and the epidemic had already taken hold. It had already spread to more of the citizens of Strasbourg, and within a week, there were more than 30 infected with the dancing plague, all of them, day in, Day out, boogie in, nonstop. <laughs> like Trophy, many of them were being sent the three day cart ride to the shrine of St. Vitus, but this disease was spreading way too quickly. By August, there were more than 400 that were infected with the dancing plague and they were dancing nonstop all over the city. The ritual repeated itself in all of them. They ignored their bloodied and swollen feet and they danced to the point of collapse. The dancers would sleep and then immediately rise and begin the compulsion once more. They did not seem to be bothered that their actions worked them to the point of exhaustion and that their physical bodies were failing them. Some of these people were losing their lives. City officials had to find a solution and they needed to find one quickly. So they consulted doctors, who said that the urge to dance was caused by overheated blood, which made sense. It was a particularly hot summer. But instead of prescribing bloodletting, as they may for other ailments of the blood, the doctors said that the officials needed to do what many other cities who had been afflicted by this problem had done before. Just let them dance it out. So that's what they did. And, spoiler alert, it didn't work. City officials built stages around the city and in the square, they hired dancers to dance with the afflicted and musicians to give them something to dance to. Though guys, I'm telling you, this music has to be more for the onlookers. There are often comments in some of these accounts that say things about how dead or entranced that the dancers look, and I can imagine that it was really, really creepy and incredibly eerie to watch them dance to nothing but the sounds of their own leather and wooden shoes beating on cobblestone streets. Picture it. Now, when it comes to history in general, but specifically when it comes to the middle ages and Strasbourg, and we get different accounts with different numbers and different dates. However, there are many accounts that say at the height of this thing, there were 15 people falling dead every single day, 15. And the suggestion to let those with choreomania dance as long as they felt like it, had only led to more infection, more dancers, and more death. The city needed to try a different method to end this problem. Because this was not working. So they pivoted a complete 180. Dancing and music was banned in Strasbourg that summer until September, and they tore all of the stages down. Anyone that felt the desire to cut a rug would have to do so out of sight. Additionally, those who were deemed to be the worst off of the infected were sent to St. Vitus's shrine, where Frau Trophia, the first to come down with the dancing plague, had been cured of her ailment. It was there, under a wooden carving of St. Vitus, that the sick held wooden crosses in their hands and wore red shoes that were anointed in oils and doused in holy water. It was said that priests were chanting to them in Latin, and there's a heavy cloud of frankincense in the room. So I could imagine that anyone would be woken up from any trance that they were in. <laughs> The ritual worked. Uh, More of the dancers from Strasbourg were sent to the shrine and they kept going until they didn't anymore. September came and it seemed like the episode was over. People stopped dancing. Everyone went back to their homes. The monks went back to chanting to just themselves and Strasbourg went back to its version of normalism. But people still wondered, what the heck happened here? And so we're gonna go through those. Chronologically, these are the ideas that took a stronghold. First, we have the religious perspective. Here, as well as in other places across Europe, bishops and many other members of the clergy suggest that the mania, the dancing plague, was a punishment for sin and a case of demonic possession. We do have the influence of the St. Vitus Shrine and the story of St. Vitus, which was really well known during the area. St. Vitus was a Christian martyr who was said to be known to punish sinners or those who did not venerate him with unending desires to dance. He said, you do not like me, you do not pray to me, I will make you dance till you die. That's why Frau Traffia and so many of the other people of Strasbourg were sent there to heal from their urges. Supposedly it worked, but like I said earlier, I think it has more to do with the choking out of one's lungs with frankincense and the drowning noises of monks chanting rather than divine intervention. But that's my opinion. You're more than welcome to have yours. Our next opinion comes from a physician and alchemist named Periclesis that lived during the Middle Ages. He became fascinated with the events of the summer of 1518 after he visited Strasbourg nearly a decade later. Periclesis said that the dancing plague was all caused by Frau Trophia and her dead-set desire to embarrass her husband. He postulated that as her husband yelled for her to stop, Frau Trophia just kept on dancing, all to make her man look bad and seeing that the amount of attention that she was receiving was high, more women joined in the frenzied ballet, all for the purpose of driving their husbands mad. Periclesis said that the women were experiencing a type of mania called coriolisceva, which was caused by self-indulgent desires without fear of the outcome or respect for social order, and of the three degrees of mania that Periclesis described in his works relating to the plague, this was the most severe, and in his scholarly opinion it was because it had the most egregious cause taking part in guitar or lute playing, living what he would call a reckless or disgraceful life, or being a whore or a scoundrel were all paths to coming down with Chorea Laskiva. While we value Periclesis for acknowledging that it wasn't outside influences that caused those with Choreomania to dance, we also take his opinion as, well, a heavily misogynistic one. His stance that we should not even consider this a plague or that God or saints couldn't have caused it, is correct, but otherwise, my dude is way off. There were women, men, clergy, children, the elderly, soldiers, you name it, supposedly infected with this. So, to say it that it was due to the state of your soul, and whether or not you were a whore in the opinion of Periclesis, is not science, it's judgment. Miss me with it, Periclesy. The next widespread idea that took the center stage began in the 20th century with a group of investigators who blamed rotten rye bread for the events of 1518. For a long time, it was believed that ergot, a fungus that grows on the grain rye, was the culprit of the mania that had been experienced by the people of Strasbourg. This idea was debunked by John Waller in his 2009 book, A Time to Dance, A Time to Die, where he essentially concluded that, yes, ergot can cause convulsions along with hallucinations, but it also constricts blood flow to the extremities. Think about how it would feel trying to dance endlessly with your hands and feet asleep, all staticky and painful. You know, like when you get out of the car after a long car ride and you're beating your foot on the sidewalk? Yeah, no, I'm not dancing then. And you may have also heard of ergot as the culprit behind another more famous event of mania, the Salem Witch Trials. Personally, I don't think that ergot is to blame for either Salem or Strasbourg. I just think that for a while, it was probably easier for historians or people to blame these kinds of events on something mystical or something physical like ergot. But from what I can tell you, you'd probably be too busy seizing, getting gangrene, or having violent diarrhea to dance if you'd been poisoned with ergot to the point of convulsion. Now if we look at the historic, economic, cultural, and geographic context during the time leading up to July of 1518, then I believe we are on the most accurate and interesting path to this event. To put it simply, the people of Strasbourg were primed and ready for this to happen. They'd been building up to this for at least the last 20 years. Every other dancing plague that had occurred in Europe from the first in 1374 to that faithful day in July had all taken place near the west side of the Holy Roman Empire, near Strasbourg. On top of this, there were events that many people in the Middle Ages would have taken as signs or indications that those living in Strasbourg were going to have a cataclysmic event like this one. Many say it began with the 1492 comet, which planted the seeds of apocalypse and doom in the minds of a highly superstitious people. Since the turn of the century, Strasbourg residents had experienced peasant revolts, floods, cold temperatures, bubonic plague, and three straight years of famine. In 1518 alone, there had been droughts, which led to bad harvests, political instability between the bishops and the townspeople, syphilis outbreaks, and more. All of these factors combined with the idea that the residents of Strasbourg believed that St. Vitus could and would punish them, that was enough for the epidemic to take hold, and it did. This mass hysteria or mass psychogenic disorder was caused by the deep and long-running stress that everyone in Strasbourg had been experiencing. Humans are easily led and highly suggestible creatures, and it's possible that feeling overwhelmed with the weight of the world just felt easier if you could just start dancing and it was within the expected norms of your society. You were, after all, living in Strasbourg, and it seemed that the heavens had it out for you. I really think that John Waller said it best when he said in his book, quote, the minds of the choreomaniac were drawn inwards and tossed about on the violent seas of their deepest fears, end quote. It's there, guys, in those combined murky waters of gender, religion, history, economics, and fear that the truths about the summer of 1518 lay. So, whether you think it was a punishment handed down by divine forces, it was caused by overheating and exhaustion, or simply in the case of an entire population pushed to the ends of their mental ropes, the Dancing Plague of 1518 is an event that's both perplexing and fascinating. That summer, the perfect storm of fear and superstition festered over Straussburg, and the only way it could be fought was with hope that it would end. Though it has been studied and retold endless times over history, the exact figures for how many people died, exactly what happened to end the problem, and what caused Frau Trophia to begin dancing in the first place remains lost to history. But we can be sure of two things here. The story will probably never stop being told, and Pericles is a jerk. (laughs) So that's it, guys. That's the end of the pod, the end of our first episode. Um, I really am excited to hear what you guys think. I'm really excited to keep going and keep learning together uh, I know I revealed this episode um, last week whenever I dropped the trailer but I'm not gonna let you know the title of each episode um, until the day that it comes out just because that way if I need to pivot for any reason if I need to use something that I might have backlogged um, you know that happens I have a life too I have things going on but this has been really great. I've had so much fun I I'm definitely just kind of sweating in my closet right now because I have to keep all of my, um, you know, HVAC system turned off because it's, uh, it makes noise. But yeah, I'm just, this has been awesome, guys. This has been so much fun. I hope that you enjoyed. I hope you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, um, and please just mostly stay safe out there. Until next time, guys. Thanks. (laughs)